This morning, I just want to, I want to preach a sermon unlike any sermon that you may have ever heard. In fact, I would not be surprised if none of you have ever heard a sermon quite like the one I'm about to preach. It's, it's a sermon about how to listen to a sermon. I know one of the distinctives of this church is its commitment to expository preaching. And uh, that's one of the reasons, um, if not the reason, why you attend this church. You love expository preaching because your life has been and continues to be changed and transformed as a result of sitting under the clear, accurate explanation and application of God's Word. And I think you all realize that God has blessed you above and beyond what you could have asked for or imagined with an expositor like Scott Artavanis. Uh, he's uh, one of the most gifted preachers I've ever known, and uh, God blessed you as a church with him. And I know you have high expectations for Scott or for any preacher that, that stands in this pulpit, as you should. You, you expect the preacher to be faithful to, to his responsibility to diligently prepare and to preach sermons that properly explain the text of Scripture and that practically apply it to your life. In fact, many of you have such a high regard for the role of the preacher. If you don't get anything out of the sermon on any given Sunday, it's easy to think that it was his fault. Now, granted, there are times when even the best preachers preach bad sermons. I've preached my share of duds in my time. In fact, rarely is there a Sunday when I don't leave our church wishing I could just go back and have one more crack. Give me a mulligan. Just let me hit it one more time and I'll get it closer to the pin. But that's when I just have to remember that, that God said through the prophet Isaiah that whenever God's word goes forth, it never returns what? Void. But it always accomplishes what God desires. But at the same time, in one sense, all the effort that a preacher puts into preparing and delivering a sermon is useless if no one hears it and obeys it. The expository process culminates or climaxes right here in the sermon being heard and obeyed and people's lives being changed. And I think we need to understand that, that preaching is not a one-sided endeavor. It's, it's a joint venture between the preacher and the listener. Successful sermons that are, are profitable and life-changing and, and, and that result in, in your life being transformed in the image of Christ really results from you as a listener teaming up with the preacher, much like a catcher works together in unison with a pitcher. The one standing on the mound and the one squatting behind the plate both have a vital role to play in the pitching process. The responsibility doesn't rest all on the preacher's shoulders, or the pitcher's shoulders, I should say. And likewise, the the responsibility in preaching doesn't rest all on the guy standing behind the pulpit. Those of you sitting in the pew also play a significant role in the preaching process. And so in order for you to get something out of a sermon, you as a listener need to partner with the preacher so the Word of God accomplishes its purpose of changing your life. Now, tragically, this powerful partnership between the pulpit and the pew is being virtually ignored in the church today. 
For example, there are countless books that have been written to preachers on how to preach. But how many of you have ever read a book written to you as a listener, helping you learn how to listen? Preachers have many, many resources to to train and equip them to be better preachers, and listeners have hardly any resources to train them to become better listeners. And I think this blatant oversight is astounding when you consider the number of listeners far exceeds the number of preachers. You have thousands of preachers preaching to billions, literally billions of listeners. And I think what makes it even more ironic is that the Bible gives far more instruction about listening than it does about preaching. God is very concerned about how preachers preach. Based on the sheer number of references to to hearing and listening in the pages of Scripture, God is obviously just as concerned, and I would submit to you, even more concerned about how listeners listen. When I was doing this project for my, my, my doctorate year, several years ago, I asked a friend who was a kind of a, a techie guy, knew how to use Bible software, and I said, hey, could you do me a favor? Could you just run a search of three words? I want you to look up the word ear, the word listen, and the word hear from Genesis to Revelation, and give me a printout of everything that, that comes up. Well, he came back the next week and literally had a stack of paper this high, and I was overwhelmed at how many times that the Scriptures talk about this subject of listening. In fact, in the Gospels alone, 15 times Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. In other other words, if you got these two flaps of skin on the side of your head, right, two ears, listen up, pay attention, use them. The same exhortation, He who has ears, let him hear, is repeated seven more times in the book of Revelation, once to each of the seven churches. And so this is really a theme of at least the New Testament. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, Almost every book of the Bible contains some reference to listening and obeying God's Word. And I thought it was interesting that when you look at the biblical references on on listening, it's hard to to miss the, the inseparable relationship between listening and obeying. In fact, many verses... And passages clearly make a connection between listening and obeying. Listening and obeying are, are really two sides of the same coin. They're, they're essentially a synonymous terms. You may not realize this, but there is a direct lexical link between the words hear and obey in both the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament word for hear, you might have heard of this word before, is shema. The, 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 the Shema, what the Israelites say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Uh, that word Shema is the same Hebrew word used for obey. In other words, there's no separate word for obey in the Scriptures. They just use the same word. Shema means hear and it means obey. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hear is akuo. And the word for obey is a derivative of that, of that word hear. It's hupa akuo, which means to listen under or to hear under. So the implication is simple that in God's mind, hearing and obeying are one and the same. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to his word with full purpose of praising and obeying him once they see what he has done and is doing and what they're called to do. 
And so from the very first Sunday that I began preaching sermons to the congregation in Texas that God has called me to shepherd, I've sought to help them honor God by honoring His Word. And mainly, I've challenged them to be doers of the Word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves, who delude themselves, as was read by Charlie this morning from James chapter 1, verse 22. And when we are not just hearers of the Word, but doers of God's Word, God and His Word are honored and glorified through our lives. You remember what Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2 when he was... uh, describing the way that older men and older women and younger men and younger women were to act, were to behave uh, in, in, in the church, he, he said there was a theme that he weaved through that description of, of character qualities. And he says this in chapter 2 of uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 5. He says that, that uh, the, the younger women are to be sensible, pure workers at home, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Verse 8, when talking about the young men, he said they would, should be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then finally, when he was talking to bond slaves, he said they should show all good, all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. And so Paul was instructing Titus, to teach the people there on the island of Crete how they should live their lives so that the Word of God would not be dishonored and people would have nothing bad to say about them because their lives adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, our lives make God and His Word look either good or bad. And nothing brings greater reproach on God and His Word than when those who profess to know Him don't live according to the principles of God's Word. Listen, if you're not going to live according to the principles of God's Word, please don't call yourself a Christian. Because you make the rest of us who are trying to do that look bad. See, when, when, when you don't live out the principles of God's Word, it, it, this is what happens in people's minds. They, they conclude, listen, if, if that's what, what, what comes of going to church and hearing all those sermons from the Bible and going to all those Bible studies and reading the Bible every day, I don't want anything to do with the Bible. Why would I need the Bible? However, when others perceive that hearing and putting into practice biblical preaching has had a life-changing impact on you, that your life is different than than theirs, it will pique their interest and give you an opportunity to share with them the truth of God's Word and how they too can honor and glorify God with their lives. And so realizing that the reputation of God and His Word are at stake, should provide us all the incentive we need to carefully listen to and live out every sermon we hear so our life accurately reflects what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah Burroughs, who was a Puritan pastor, said this. He gave this exhortation to his congregation in in a conclusion to a Sunday morning sermon that he entitled, Sanctifying the Name of God in Hearing the Word. He said this, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, that you who are hearers of the word would glorify the word and glorify the name of God in the word. Oh, that not one of you would be a disgrace or a shame to the word of God. 
You should rather think thusly, it would be better for me that I should die and that I were under the ground and rotting there than that the word of God should be ever disgraced by me. If ever you've gotten any good by the word, you should go away with this resolution. I will labor all the days of my life to honor this word of God that I have gotten so much good by. And then he said this, if this were but the resolution of every one of your hearts this morning, it would be a blessed morning's work. And I would say this, if this is the resolution of every one of your hearts this morning when you leave here, then I would consider as well this to be a blessed morning's work. And so what I'd like to do this morning, and that was all for free, that was just the introduction, right? What I'd like to do with the time that we have remaining is is give you an overview of this little book and uh, provide maybe a a teaser, if you will, or kind of a little trailer that would make you want to go see the movie. Uh, But in this case, go read the book. And so how I've tried to basically, what I've tried to do in this sermon is just basically say the book in a sermon, say it in a sermon. And so this has been a great exercise for me personally to try to boil down what, is the, the, what are the most important principles uh, here in, 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 in basically what the Bible teaches about this, idea, this uh, subject of listening. And so you've got some notes in front of you there, hopefully uh, in the bulletin, you pulled out that outline, you've got that looking at you. And so what I want to accomplish this morning is simply this, that in order for you to experience maximum life change from the sermons that you hear every week and ensure that God and His Word are honored and glorified through your life, you must be mindful of and faithful to four responsibilities whenever you listen to God's Word preached. And uh, I'm hoping that if we, you know, if God is gracious to us this morning, when, when Scott gets back and and he stands up in this pulpit, you got, we'll, we'll have created listening machines, right? And you guys will listen in a whole different way to Scott and be like, what happened to you guys when I was on vacation? And uh, really, this is a sermon that's often better preached by somebody else <laughs> than the guy who's actually uh, preaching in a pulpit uh, in a particular church. And so I'm able to say some things to you that maybe might be more difficult for, for, for Scott to say. But uh, I hope that this will be helpful this morning as we consider these four responsibilities that you must be mindful of and faithful to whenever you listen to God's Word preached. Number one is appreciation. Appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's Word preached. Number two is anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's Word preached. Number three is attention. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's Word preached. And then number four is application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. And so let's look at each of these four responsibilities one at a time. And we'll have to go quickly this morning because there's a lot to cover. But uh, uh, please know that this is really just the tip of the iceberg, what we're getting this morning. And hopefully it'll whet your appetite for more. But let's look first of all, this first responsibility, and that is appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. A very familiar passage, I'm sure. Uh, probably been preached from this pulpit, in fact. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 
Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now that's the part we're most familiar with, but don't miss the connection here with the, the conjunction here, or the purpose clause, I should say, for. For, why, why are you to preach the word? Why, why did Paul want Timothy to preach the word? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their what? Their ears tickled. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their what? Ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, these famous last words of the Apostle Paul, this is his final letter that he wrote to his young protege, Timothy, really show us how the importance of listening is ultimately based on the importance of preaching. Joel Beakey, a, a pastor in the, in the Midwest, said this, quote, John Calvin often instructed his congregation about rightly hearing the Word of God, and Calvin stressed proper hearing because of his high regard for preaching. And so a right understanding of how to properly listen to God's Word begins with, a, begins with an, and flows out of a right understanding of how God's Word is to be properly preached. And so before addressing the subject of biblical listening, you have to also address the subject of biblical preaching. In fact, I've told people that this little book is, is really a, a book on preaching in disguise. It's everything I ever learned about expository preaching packaged in a way uh, and from a perspective of the person sitting in the pew. And, uh, and, and hopefully that was uh, accomplished in that. But, but, but this is the, where we need to begin is 2 Timothy chapter 4. In fact, this whole series originally in our church flowed out of, of, of as I was expositing through the, the pastoral epistles and got to this text, uh, obviously I couldn't wait to preach this uh, the fir- verses 1 and 2 about preaching the Word, but then it struck me, verses 3 and 4, that there's just as much a responsibility for the listener as there is for the preacher. And, and, we were, and then we were off to the races talking about uh, the biblical responsibility of listening. Well, this, this is the classic text in God's Word, I'm sure you realize that, on the true nature of biblical preaching. And it's based on the context, notice verse 16, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And he goes right into chapter 4 and says, preach the word. And so he's basically saying, preach the inspired, authoritative, all-sufficient word. And that word preach there in verse 2 is the word keruxon, which means to proclaim as a herald. To, to speak on behalf of the king. In other words, you tell people what the king said. You don't have any words to say on your own, of your own. You simply repeat the king's words. And so biblical preaching is when the Bible is the sole source and subject of every sermon. In other words, what the preacher says comes directly from a verse or passage in the Bible. And that verse or passage is literally explained in its historical and grammatical context and then principalized into a timeless truth that relates to people's lives today. This method of preaching is referred to as biblical exposition or what you probably know it as expository preaching. Wayne Grudem gives a great definition of expository preaching in his little book called Bible Doctrine. 
He said this, throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have seen as their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Essentially, they stood in the pulpit, pointed to the biblical text, and said in effect to the congregation, this is what this verse means. Do you see that meaning here as well? Then you must believe it and obey it with all your heart, for God himself, your creator and your Lord, is saying this to you today. I think that last sentence really puts its finger captures the profound gravity of hearing God's word preached, that God himself is saying this to you. Whenever a preacher is faithfully explaining the Bible, it is God talking, not the preacher. You're you're not just hearing the words of a preacher, you're actually hearing the words of God. This was the conviction of of faithful preachers in the Bible. Jeremiah uh, referred to his prophetic ministry in these terms. He says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. In other words, God says, I put my words in your mouth. They're not your words, they're my words. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And then Peter in 1 Peter 4.11 says, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. This was also the conviction of many throughout church history. For example, John Calvin said this, quote, Pastors are the very mouthpieces of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, In faithful exposition of the word, God himself is preaching. And if a man is giving a true exposition of Scripture, God is speaking because it is God's Word and not the Word of men. And then John Stott, a more contemporary uh, British expositor, said this. He remarked that in true biblical preaching, the voice of the preacher is ultimately drowned out by the voice of God. And so understanding the, the supernatural nature of biblical exposition, that when a man is faithfully Preaching the Word of God is actually the voice of God being heard. That should cause you to pay careful attention to every sermon that you hear. I love the example of the Thessalonians. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said this, For this reason we also constantly thank God. In other words, I, 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 we're, we're just constantly thanking God for you. We're so grateful for you. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you so grateful? That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so the Spirit of God used Paul's preaching in dramatic ways uh, in that city of Thessalonica, and it, and it transformed the lives of these idol-worshiping pagans. And the question is, well, why? Why did it have such an impact in, in Thessalonica? Because these people welcomed the word with open arms and they appreciated it and they accepted it for what it really was. It wasn't just this guy talking, it was God talking through Paul. Now, unlike the church in Thessalonica, there seems to be an increasing lack of appreciation for biblical preaching in the church today. Not only does the church, uh, the average churchgoer, These days no longer appreciate biblical preaching. They won't even tolerate biblical preaching. Which shouldn't surprise us because Paul said 
Paul warned Timothy that was going to be the case. Again, back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he tells Timothy to preach the word. Why? Because the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Guess what? We're living in that day that Paul prophesied where the majority of churchgoers want preachers to tell them what they want to hear and not what they need to hear. And if given a choice, I think most people today would prefer listening to a light, entertaining, topical talk filled with jokes and and stories rather than deep, challenging, doctrinal sermons that are filled with practical implications for your life. And if they feel like the preacher is stepping on their toes or making them feel uncomfortable, they either run them out of their church or they go find another church that tickles their fancies and makes them feel good about themselves. In fact, I dedicated this book to uh, our church. I had to apologize to my wife because you're supposed to dedicate your first book to your wife, right? And I had to explain to her why this wasn't the book to dedicate to her. Hopefully I'm going to write another one someday that will be more girly or something, you know, it would apply more. But this is what I wrote to, 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 uh, in the front, to my beloved flock at Lakeside Bible Church who attentively listen to me preach the word week after week and prefer to have their toes stepped on rather than their ears tickled. And, I, and I, where that came from is people coming up to me and saying, ooh, pastor, that really stepped on my toes this morning. You really stepped on my toes, but you know what? I needed to hear that. Thank you. And people appreciating, right, hearing what they need to hear, not just wanting to have their ears tickled. And so there's a simple uh, yet profound principle, I think, here in, in, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, uh, that could be very easily overlooked, and I already mentioned it to you, uh, and that this passage is not only about how to preach, it's also about how to listen. And while the emphasis is clearly on the preacher's responsibility, the, the listener's responsibility is also clearly implied here. And I believe that the, the intimidating warning that Paul gave to Timothy that he would stand before God someday and give, a, give an account of how he preached the Word of God, guess what? That also applies to those who listen to the Word of God preached. And at the Bema seat, I think the listeners will stand alongside the preachers and be held accountable for the part that they played in the preaching of God's Word. And while preachers are being judged based on their biblical responsibility to faithfully explain and exhort the word, the listeners will be judged, or i.e. rewarded, based on their biblical responsibility to carefully hear and heed the word. And this may not be something you ever even considered. Um, I've really never heard many people talk about it in our day and age, but it's interesting. You go back uh, a few hundred years to the Puritans, and they talked about this all the time. And one of the most fascinating things in my research as I was studying this subject was to find all these sermons by, by Puritan preachers where they were addressing their audience on any given Sunday about the importance of listening to biblical preaching. Now, let me give you a few examples. This is Richard Baxter. He said, remember that all these sermons must be reviewed and you must answer for all that you have heard, whether you heard it with diligent attention or with carelessness. And the word which you hear shall judge you at the last day. Hear, therefore, as those that are going to judgment to give an account of their hearing and obeying. Wow, that's pretty strong stuff. How about Thomas Watson? You must give an account for every sermon you hear. The judge to whom we must give an account is God. How should we observe every word preached remembering this account? 
And then he said this, let all this make a shake off distraction and drowsiness in hearing and have our ears chained to the word. I love their passion. And so whenever you sit under the preaching of God's word, what should be in the forefront of your mind is that is a day is coming when you will be judged or rewarded based on how receptive and how responsive you were to the preached word. And so that's the first responsibility, is that you must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Second responsibility is anticipation. So appreciation is just kind of a general, overarching, underlying, foundational responsibility that you should just have an appreciation for the Word of God. Now let's be specific about a sermon that you're going to listen to. It begins with anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's Word preached. In other words, if you understand the gravity of hearing God's Word preached, you're going to do the next three things. You're going to make sure that you prepare before, that you use discernment during, and that you obey or apply afterwards, all based on the understanding of the gravity of hearing God's Word preached. So what does it mean to prepare your heart before hearing God's Word preached? Well, turn quickly over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, probably the most uh, famous parable, or one of the most famous parables that Jesus uh, ever told in fact, this is, the, this is the foundational parable. This is the parable that he told at the very beginning. It was the first parable he told before he's told any other parables, really to lay the foundation for a proper understanding and, and, and proper hearing of the, the, the parables that he was about to share. And we don't have time to read this entire uh, story, obviously, but uh, you know the story, the parable of the sower, that, uh, that a sower went out, verse 5, to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky soil. As soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And then notice what he says. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has what? Ears to hear, let him hear. And then, of course, the disciples are like, hey, what are you talking about? Jesus is kind of confusing. Can you explain this to us? And he goes on to explain the parable. Verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And we know in, in, in Mark he said that the sower is the preacher. So you've got this picture of the preacher sowing seeds, casting out seeds on the soil. And he goes on to explain the, what the different uh, soils represent, different kinds of hearts. But then notice verse 18, as he's wrapping up this parable, he says, So take care how you what? Listen. And then notice verse 21. He answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and what? And do it. And so this, this, this parable really the, provides us some key insight into into uh, the listener's responsibility in preaching. And this entire parable is all about hearing and obeying the preaching of God's Word. And I think the bottom line with this parable is that listening to God's Word preached has more to do with our hearts than it does with our ears. So don't be confused. This is, we're not talking about these things this morning so much as we're talking about this thing right here. We're talking about our hearts. 
And so Jesus used four kinds of soil to illustrate four kinds of hearts on which the, the preached word lands. There's, there's, there's the road soil that, that, that represents those who have a stubborn, unreceptive heart. There's the rocky soil, which represents those who have a shallow, superficial heart. There's, those, there's, a, there's a thorny soil, which is representative of those who have a worldly, strangled heart. The, the things of the world strangle out the Word of God. And then there's the good soil, which represents those who have a soft, receptive heart. And so how you respond to the preaching of God's Word depends ultimately on the condition of your, what? Heart. And in order for the seed of God's Word to plant itself deep in your heart so it flourishes and and produces fruit in your life, the soil of your heart must be properly prepared. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about how uh, sometimes our hearts grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And, 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 and when our hearts become hardened to the Word of God, they need to be harrowed or, or, or broken up and softened to make them ready to receive the Word. Jeremiah chapter 4 talks about breaking up the fallow ground. And, and I'm preaching to the choir here or the farmers here now. You get that concept of the importance of, of after you plow a field and before you can plant, you've got to prepare that ground and you've got to run that harrow or that disc through that ground and you break up all those big clods and you smooth everything out and so uh, it's ready to plant. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, we're told that men ought not to preach without preparation, granted, but we add men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. And so you need to understand that the most well-crafted sermons will fail to change your life if they're not received by a well-cultivated heart. And so you need to learn to harrow your heart so it's ready to receive God's Word. I have a chapter, an entire chapter, um, in this book called Harrowing Your Heart to Hear, and I talk about ten ways uh, that you can harrow your heart. For example, just one example here. Uh, Plan ahead. Typically, we, we, we deal with the rush of Sunday morning. Maybe not so much this morning because it was kind of more relaxed schedule, right? But on a typical Sunday morning, what happens? Everybody gets up and you're rushing around. You're trying to get the kids out of bed and you're trying to get everybody a shower. You're everybody cleaned up and you're putting on your makeup and you're doing all this stuff, making breakfast. Or, and typically the dad's out in the, in the driveway honking the horn, right? And, and the wife's freaking out and she's running out and the kids are in the back seat fighting or bickering with each other. And the, the, the dad is, is frustrated that they're going to be late again to church. And so he's taking out his frustration on his wife on the way to church and she's still putting her makeup on, and, and she's all frazzled, and, 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 and just, it's like World War III in that car. And then you drive into the church parking lot, and the doors open, and you see your friend. They're like, good morning, brother. How's it going? You're great to see you. Praise right? It's the parking lot miracle. Okay, do you really think your heart is ready to receive? the? You, you come rushing in here out of breath. You just plop down in your seat. You sing a few songs. Do you really think your heart is ready to receive the Word of God? No. So plan ahead. Do as much as you can Saturday night, right? Sunday morning starts Saturday night. Do as much as you can Saturday night. Put the diaper bag together. Lay, put, set the table for breakfast. Do, lay out the clothes. Ladies, don't try to pick your outfit Sunday morning. 
pick it Saturday night, right? And guys, don't sit in the car laying on the horn. Be in there helping your wife with the kids or do whatever you got to do. So you come as a family, you come with right hearts. Something else just that can help you as a listener is those of you that are sitting up front here this morning, way to go. You're going to have a bigger mansion in heaven. No, just kidding. Uh, I don't believe that. But, um, but listen, you have a lot less distractions to deal with because you're sitting up front. And the majority of the distractions that have gone on this morning have happened behind you. Whereas those of you that are sitting in the back, you, you've seen everybody get up and leave and move. And you're looking at that person's hairdo and go, man, look, Sally got her hair cut. And you're, you're looking down the, and you're seeing everything, right? Things that distract you. And, and look at those kids. They're totally disobedient. And man, if they were my kids, I'd spank them. And right, you, you're, you're, uh, all this stuff that's going on. Listen, the closer you sit up front, right, the more attentive you can be, hopefully you'll get more out of the sermon. So all you people sitting in the back row, you're like, oh, great, he's preaching to us. We've got to repent. We've got to come down front. Again, it's just a practical matter here. But again, the point is you need to prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. And that leads us to the third responsibility, and that's attention. Attention that you must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. So we talked about what you do before you come. And now what do you do while you're sitting here? Okay? Now this is really practical. Okay? You can, you can put into practice this section of the sermon right now. One of the most critical challenges for you as a listener is learning to listen with a discerning ear. Do you realize that God holds you responsible to determine whether or not what you're hearing preached is accurate. Listen to what uh, John said in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, you shouldn't just accept what you hear from this pulpit just because Scott said it or because I said it or any preacher said it. You need to make sure that what's being said is what God has said. You need to develop the habit of comparing everything that you're hearing with the Scriptures. Had a guy visit our church one time. I'll never forget it. And uh, he, sat, he was sitting at a table, and it was just a men's breakfast. And so most of the guys don't bring their Bibles. You know, it's just kind of a hangout time, and somebody gives a, gets up and does a little devotional. But this visitor brought his Bible. I had a big old Bible right there next to his plate of food. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? I introduced myself. I said, man, I'm so glad to see you bring your Bible. You brought your Bible. And he looked up at me, didn't miss a beat, and says, well, you don't think I'm going to take your word for it, do you? And I was like, I like you, man. You're a Berean. And that's what... That's what Paul says in Acts, or Luke said in Acts 17, 11, he said the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. I mean, the Thessalonians were like, hey, they're the ones that appreciated Paul's preaching, that it actually was the word of God, not just the word of Paul. But these Bereans, the people in Berea, were even more noble-minded because they received the word with great eagerness. In other words, they were sitting on the edge of their seats every Sunday morning saying, bring it, I'm ready. But they were examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now I ask you, if the Bereans were screening the Apostle Paul, who was speaking under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how much more should you be screening the preaching that you're hearing? 
Do you realize you're living in a generation that is being exposed to more religious information and instruction than any other generation in the history of the church? And the quantity and the variety of false teaching within the church today is absolutely astounding. And yet it seems that that fewer and fewer Christians have the desire or the ability to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong, good from evil. And this is not a recent problem, by the way. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews was, was admonishing his readers for not having discernment. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, Melchizedek, this high priest in the Old Testament, we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become, what? Dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So here the writer of Hebrews was confronting the readers here here for their lack of discernment. There was a lot that he wanted to teach them, but they were not in the right spiritual condition to be able to appreciate and understand what he had to say. They were spiritually immature, and that kept them from being able to move forward, kept him from being able to move forward with his teaching. Their their problem is that they'd become, as he said, dull of hearing. You know what that means literally? They were lazy listeners. They were lazy listeners who were unable to digest the deep truths of the Bible. And so like babies, they were only capable of, of consuming the milk of the Word, even though, uh, Paul, uh, even though the writer here says that, that they had been Christians long enough that they should have graduated eating solid food. Mature believers are, are able to eat and digest the prime rib principles of God's Word. And as you feed on the meat of the Word, you develop more, a more thorough working knowledge of the Scriptures, and, which causes you to grow in your ability to distinguish truth from error. And so you're, you'll no longer be like that baby who crawls around and just puts everything they see in their mouth because they have no discernment. They don't know what's good or bad for them. I think maybe the, the clearest, most straightforward explanation of discernment in the Bible is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 21 and 22, very simply, Paul says this, Examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. In other words, train yourself to examine everything you read, everything you hear in light of the Scriptures, and receive what is true and reject what is false. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What Jesus was saying, that the appearance of false teachers is deceiving because they disguise themselves not so much as sheep, but as shepherds. That was the sheep's clothing. It was the clothing of a shepherd. And so false teachers disguise themselves as true shepherds, true pastors, teachers, elders, and leaders in the church. Why do they do that? Well, because they know if a hungry, ferocious wolf jumps over the fence into a flock of sheep, all of them are going to notice that's a wolf, and they all scatter. But if he walks through the gate impersonating a shepherd, 
it's going to be hard for the sheep to tell it's a wolf. For example, you could turn on the television this afternoon and, and, and turn to TBN or some other Christian uh, television stations, and you would see guys standing behind a pulpit that looks very similar to this, dressed very similar to how I'm dressed. It wouldn't look much different than what you experienced this morning. The question is, how would you know the difference? Everything looks the same. The appearance looks the same. What's the only thing you've got to go on? What's coming out of their mouth? Their voice. The only way the sheep can discern whether someone's a shepherd or a wolf is listening to his voice. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I know you guys are going through the gospel of John now. Scott's teaching you through that. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus said, He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so as one of Christ's sheep, you need to have your ears trained to differentiate between the voice of a shepherd and the voice of a stranger. And so you know who to flee from and who to follow. And so you must exercise discernment while hearing God's word Preached while hearing God's word preached. And so there needs to be an attention given to the word of God. Now, finally, the fourth responsibility, and we'll cover this really quickly, and that is application. Application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. Now, now what are you going to do now? So so you, you heard a sermon this morning, for example. The question that should be haunting all of us this morning is, so what? So you've heard another sermon. So what? The question is, what are you going to do about it? You must obey after hearing God's word preached. Now, I think application is the most neglected and most difficult aspect of the listening process. The hardest part of listening to a sermon is doing something about what you hear. And I think too many of us are like the people of Israel described by the Lord through the pen of the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33. I remember stumbling across this text and I thought, wow, how profound. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 30, God is speaking to Ezekiel, but as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. They come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them, for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. What was that all about? Well, evidently, Ezekiel was a very captivating, entertaining preacher. He was the talk of the town. 
Everybody had heard of Ezekiel and his ability to preach and speak. And so all the Israelites would flock to hear him preach because they were intrigued. They were impressed by his eloquence and his sermons, but they never obeyed a single thing he said. All all of Ezekiel's sermons went in one ear and out the other. They merely wanted to be entertained and they had no intention of ever putting into practice what they heard. I think we're guilty of this sometimes, even in good, solid churches like Grace Church of the Valley. That we get enamored by certain preachers. Oh, did you hear Piper's sermon? Oh, you got to hear this sermon by MacArthur. Or, man, man, Keller just nailed this. Or, man, Sproul is just so deep. And we get enamored by these gifted, godly, biblical preachers, which is a good thing that we're drawn to, to sit under these, these men of God. But sometimes it seems that we're more impressed by how they say it by than what they actually say. I've had people very graciously in our congregation come up to us at times, come up to me at the door at times and say, oh, pastor, that was a, that was a great sermon. Man, I was so good. I was so... I'm like, hey, I appreciate that. But what are you going to do about it? As you can imagine, I don't get many people coming up to the door and telling me what great sermons <laughs> we had because they, they know I'm just going to turn it around. I appreciate their, their, their expression of, of gratitude and, and kindness and encouragement, but... I, want them, I don't want them walking away being impressed by a sermon. I want them to put it into practice. I know you're all familiar with that expression, practice what you preach. And, and those of you sitting in the pew count on the one standing behind this pulpit to live out what we say. There's nothing more hypocritical and dishonoring to God when the preacher doesn't do what he tells the congregation to do. But I would say that it's just as hypocritical and dishonoring to God when a congregation doesn't do what the preacher tells them to do. You have every right to hold me accountable and expect me to practice what I preach. But guess what? I think the preacher has every right to expect you to practice what they preach. Or in other words, practice what you hear. Practice what you hear. Again, Thomas Watson, a Puritan pastor, said this, If you would hear the word aright, practice what you hear. Hearing only will be no plea at the day of judgment merely to say, Lord, I've heard many sermons. God will say, well, what fruits of obedience have you brought forth? The word preached is not only to inform you, but to reform you. If you hear the word and are not bettered by it, your hearing will increase your condemnation. We pity such as know not where to hear. It will be worse with such as care not how they hear. In other words, we pity those that, that man, they have no discernment and they're going to some other church this morning that, that they're just getting some watered-down gospel presentation and there's, it's not being faithful to the Word. They're hearing heresy. Well, our heart grieves over that. But what Watson says is this. It will be worse for those has no, they know how to hear, but they don't listen carefully. Like you got a discernment to be sitting at this church this morning, but, but the question is, how are you listening? To graceless, he goes on, to graceless disobedient hearers, every sermon will be a stick to heat hell. <laughs> the Puritans, man, they were taking no prisoners when they were preaching. Man, they would just say it. And he's saying, basically, if, if you don't obey what you, 
listen to, that sermon will be just another stick to heat hell. He said, it is sad to go to hell loaded with ordinances or loaded with sermons. Oh, beg the Spirit to make the word preached effectual. Again, what he's saying is what we've already mentioned, that at the end of our lives, we'll stand before God and give an account of every sermon that we hear. And that's why it's so vital that we diligently seek to put what we hear into practice and prove ourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. And that's the passage, again, that that Charlie read from James chapter 1, a very familiar passage to all of us. And and it's interesting here that, that James emphasizes really the two ways that we need to react to God's word in order, for itself, in order for it to plant itself deeply in our hearts and grow and flourish and produce the kind of life change that God intends and God desires from his word. The first thing is we need to be receptive. We need to be receptive. In other words, don't get angry when you hear something that you don't necessarily like to hear. Don't always be having to run your mouth. You need to learn to listen God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And then he says, verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, that word filthiness, you know what it's used for in the Greek? Earwax. Get the Q-tip out, right? And and basically deal with sin in your life. Put away all wickedness. Clean out your ears. And then in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. And so, again, your soul's at stake here. He's saying that will save your soul. So you need to recognize, man, I need to, this, this preaching stuff, these sermons are sobering things. My soul's at stake here. And so we need to be receptive and hospitable to the Word, but then we also need to be responsive. We need to be responsive. It's not enough just to sit here and go, well, look, I got my Bible. I'm taking notes. I'm, I'm receptive to what the preacher's saying this morning. Well, that's half the equation. The other half is now to be responsive, to respond. And he says here, do not be, he said, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude, delude themselves. I think the best example of this was, would be those who would audit a class. Anybody ever audit a class before in college? I did. Those were my favorite classes. Because you get, you get you just sit there and take notes and get all the syllabus and you get to take in all the information, but you never had to take a single test. You never had to write a single paper. And it was easy. And some people come to church and they're like they're auditing church. They're sitting here taking notes. They're getting all the information, but they have no intention of doing anything. The moment they walk out that door, they're like, sweet, I don't have to do anything after this. I just get to enjoy this experience. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and but once he's looked at himself and gone away, it's imme- he's immediately forgotten what, he's, what kind of person he was. I mean, what, what's the purpose of a mirror? To, to show us what we look like so we can see what needs to be fixed or changed. And we look in the mirror, we all did it this morning. I, I guarantee, maybe that guy didn't. No, just kidding. Uh, no, we, we all looked in the mirror this morning. Why? To see what we looked like, to see what needed to be fixed. We had to comb our hair, we needed to shave, we needed to pop a zit, we needed to put on makeup, whatever you had to do. But you looked in the mirror and you saw it and you you fixed it, you changed it, you did something about what you saw. How foolish would it be for you to look into a mirror and see all these things that need to change and then walk away and never do anything about it. And not only that you didn't do anything about it, you forgot that you didn't comb your hair, that you didn't put your makeup on, you didn't shave, right? You forgot. And yet that's exactly what we do whenever we walk away from hearing a sermon and never do anything as a result. 
of what we heard. We're what James called a forgetful hearer. And instead, he says, you should be a effectual doer who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not becoming, not, not having become a forgetful here, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. The question you should ask yourself after every sermon that you hear is, now what? How should my life change as a result of what I just heard? And don't overcomplicate it. Just think of one thing. It's just something simple. What is maybe something I need to believe differently than I believe when I walked in here this morning? Or, you know what, I need to change that attitude. Or I need to stop saying that or doing that. Just think of one simple application from every sermon that you hear. Just one way you can obey. And when you seek to obey God's word, God promises that you will be blessed. Jesus said, Luke 11, in 11, Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. I mean, this is the most basic principle, I think, in all of Scripture, is that God blesses those who hear and obey His word. Would you agree? I mean, that's just a basic principle of Scripture, that God blesses those who hear and obey His word. One last passage, Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. You know this parable, this story well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Story of the wise man and the foolish man. No coincidence that this was the closing illustration to the greatest sermon ever preached. And as Jesus was wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he was challenging those who were sitting on that hillside listening to that sermon to put into practice everything they had just heard. And I think this text is a solemn warning to all of us that that both our entire lives and our eternal destiny is based on how receptive and responsive we are to God's Word. David Clarkson, another Puritan, wrote this in a, in a sermon called Hearing the Word. He said, Hearing is the provision made for the soul's eternal well-being. Its everlasting welfare depends on it. If you fail here, your souls perish without remedy. For salvation comes by faith, and faith comes by what? Hearing. He says, It's an act of eternal consequence. According to your hearing, so shall the state of your soul be to eternity. In the end, it's all going to come down to what we did or didn't do with what God has said in His Word. And so I want to encourage you this morning to listen to every sermon in light of eternity because every sermon is truly a matter of life and death.